My name is Cody Armour. I'm the executive director here at Geeks Under Grace. I've had that position for about four years now, and I've been with the ministry for almost a decade. Beyond that, I've also been volunteering in other capacities for all over 15 years, I believe. Um, so volunteering, serving is, is really, really important to me. Another thing that's really important to me, for those who don't know, is video games. Love video games. I've been playing video games for the longest time uh, since I was almost a baby. I think two years old was when I had my first console. One of my memories with video games, though, is my favorite one, Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, me and my little brother would play that for hours and hours. For years, <laughs> really. Super Mario Bros. 3, for those who don't know, you can probably play it on the Nintendo Switch now. It's had so many different iterations. I actually had it on the original Nintendo. And then the one that we played a lot was on the Super Nintendo, Super Mario All-Stars. And then you put that cartridge in, you play Super Mario Bros. 3. You could save the file. It was amazing. But the problem that we kept running into was that we always had to be player one, both of us. We had two controllers. We could have played Mario and Luigi, but we had to be Mario always. And so what was happening with that is I would beat a level and then my little brother would lose. And we, that's how we switched off was either you beat the level or you lost a life and then we would switch the controller, hand the controller over. And so beat a level, lose a level. Life. Beat a level, lose life. And then we get game over and we would start over. And we almost never, ever beat more than World 1 because we just kept losing. And I won't say that I was amazing at it at first either, but I was quite a bit better than my little brother when we were six, seven years old, however old we were with this. And I'd like to say that, you know, it was right away I figured out that, you know, if I was player two, uh, then everything would work out. But I'm pretty selfish. And it, it took a little while to realize that, hey, maybe if we had, you know, set this game up for two player the way that it's built, maybe we'll do okay. The problem with that was, I just I didn't want to be Luigi. I don't want to be the second player. I could be first player and he could be second player and we would have been fine. Uh, but he didn't want to. So we just both continued losing. Until I finally gave in and said, fine, you can be Mario. I'll, I'll be Luigi and we'll see how it goes. So for those who don't know how this game works, uh, you beat a level, there's a world map. And on the world map, if Mario wins... Then he gets a little M. If Luigi wins, he gets a little L on the levels. And so when someone gets game over, then the exact same thing happens where, you know, you have to start all over. But the other player, the one, so like, say Mario got game over, then Mario's levels are the only ones that change back. Luigi doesn't have to start all the way over as well. Luigi's levels are still there. And I could go back as Luigi and beat the levels that my little brother couldn't beat if I absolutely needed to. Because of this, we got a little bit farther in the game. And one of the things that was really cool to me, too, was because I wasn't playing the same four levels over and over, my little brother was actually able to watch me play a little bit more, and he was able to get better at the game as well. 
And eventually, we did beat Super Mario Bros. 3 together. Uh, we got to World 8, and I'll say this. He helped me on a lot of stuff. There were things that I just wasn't good at that he was. And eventually, we beat Bowser, Bowser's Castle, or ship. I can't remember now <laughs> that I'm saying that out loud. Uh, they're airships in Super Mario Bros. 3. And we, we were able to beat the game because one of us took a step back and said, okay, you be player one and I, I will be player two and I will be your right hand. So I, I say all that to say, um, sometimes we need to be player two. Sometimes we need to, we need to take a step back and let someone else take the lead and Sometimes when we do that, it'll actually take us farther than if we both tried for first. So there's a lot of biblical stories that are kind of like this. And, uh, you know, you've probably heard if you're, uh, I almost quoted Talladega Nights, if you're not first, you're last, uh, which is, it's backwards. If you're last, you're first is what the Bible says. Uh, the last shall be first and the first should be last. <laughs> and... Uh, there's a lot of different illustrations with that. The first one in the in the Bible, I believe, is Joseph in in Genesis. So we're gonna go there because I think that is one of the best ones. Joseph, not not Mary and Joseph, not that Joseph. We're going way way back. Genesis, the first book in the Bible. For those who don't know, and uh, those who didn't grow up in the church, you're not gonna know the story. But the ones that did will know Joseph. He's a guy with a coat of many colors. So. They have a coat of many colors. The brother gets, brothers get jealous. Um, yeah, let's start. Let's start from the beginning. So, it's in Genesis, I believe. It's chapter thirty-four as where it starts. We're not going to read the entire thing because it's kind of a long story. Uh, we're only going to hit a single part, but to kind of recap everything really quickly, uh, you have Joseph. Joseph is one of many brothers, and his father loves him he is definitely the favorites uh he is definitely his father's kind of right hand in a lot of ways uh and you'll notice in the story too joseph is just an expert at being player two so really to his brothers they see him as player one right they they can't stand the guy he uh, is always talking poorly about them just not because he's trying to get them in trouble but they're just doing poorly and so he's kind of ratting them out uh, <laughs> and he like is shown all this favoritism because he's really good at his job and they're not that great at their job. And so they plot to just straight up kill him. Uh, they're thinking about killing him. They they find this pit and they think about throwing him in the pit, killing him there, and then they'd have to hide the body. And one of them basically says, that sounds like a lot of work. Hey, there's some Egyptians coming. Let's just sell him to slavery. And so they do that. They send Joseph uh, to Egypt, sell him for money, and then they go back, they tell his father, they take this coat, this coat of many colors, they dip it in some blood, and say, oh no, man, your son's dead, that's, that's too bad, we tried, kind of, <laughs> and so his father's really, really upset about this, obviously, um, but Joseph is not dead, he's, he's in Egypt, sold to a man named Pomper, and you'll see a theme here, <laughs> Joseph, really good at his job, really good at just doing the right things, uh, becomes Potiphar's favorite. And Potiphar, he basically becomes right hand to Potiphar. 
he serves him the best that he can and in doing so lives way better than he did when he was living with his father i think that's an interesting thing uh in each one of these he kind of climbs a ladder in a lot of ways so joseph is doing everything right potiphar loves him uh the problem is potiphar's wife also really fond of him tries sleeping with him and joseph being the good guy that he is says no and she gets embarrassed and mad about the fact that he said no and so she rips his clothes off and then takes it to the guard and they're like look he tried sleeping with me i'm horrified and joseph gets sent to prison so the moral of the story is if you try to do the right thing you'll go to prison no that's not the that's not the moral of the story <laughs> but that's kind of where he ends up is he ends up in prison potiphar is very upset with him. Why are you trying to sleep with my wife? He's like, I'm not. And he goes, I believe my wife over you. Sorry, you're just a slave. You're doing great, but wife comes first. Totally understandable. And so he's he's wrongly accused and he's in prison. And he does everything right in prison and becomes kind of their right hand. He's not free by any means. He's still a prisoner, but he basically runs the prison for them. <laughs> and... Uh, he he interprets some dreams. There's there's a lot to this Bible uh, passage. He interprets some dreams. Uh, doesn't really go his way either. Finally, Pharaoh catches wind. Pharaoh has some dreams. Says, hey, bring that Joseph guy that's basically running the prison to me. I want to talk to him about these dreams that I'm having. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And the Pharaoh, so like king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt is like, wow, you are really wise. I think that you should be in charge of Egypt. And I'll just, I'll be on the throne. I'm still the Pharaoh, but you're going to be a right, right-hand man. You're going to do uh, all the decision-making. You're basically leading Egypt for me and, and be in my right hand. You're, you're serving me in probably the highest capacity that anybody could. And the interpretation of those dreams and things, you find out that there is going to be seven years of really good life for, for Joseph and the rest of Egypt, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph, through his serving, basically takes G Egypt, and they are smart with their resources when they're in a surplus, and then they are wise in how they handle the famine itself and that that is all joseph serving in a prisoner slave position and he's not he's not number one he's player two so i want to get to genesis 45 8 through 11 and kind of go we're, we're going to stop there i'm going to read this passage like i said i encourage you to read the entire story entire story is really good uh, 45, Genesis 45, 8 through 11. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, father to Pharaoh, Lord of all of his household, ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay for you shall live in the land of Goshen. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And you shall be near me. And you and your children 
and your grandchildren and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine left, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. impoverished. So, he's saying that to his brothers that have just found out that it's him. He's not dead, and he's actually ruling over them. That's something that he had dreamed about when he was younger and told them there's reason they weren't fond of him. You went out to kill me, but don't worry, it's fine. It wasn't you, it was God. God had a plan. His plan was for me to be player two in the, the best way possible because I'm really, really good at it. I think what's really interesting about this and the way that God uses people is that it wasn't the Pharaoh, it wasn't Potiphar, it wasn't the father that did all of these great, amazing things. It was the second guy. It was the guy serving. It was the guy in the background. So you know, if it were for the Bible, that story wouldn't be about Joseph. It would be about the Pharaoh. It would be his story of all the great things that he did even though it was it was a second second in command. I want to talk about serving a little bit. There's there's a few different ways that serving uh, benefits everyone. The first thing, first point that I want to make is kind of a strange one, and that is that serving serves you. And if you're thinking, Cody. I don't think that's where your heart should be when you're serving people is how can it benefit you? You're right, but we do live in a society that I think often wants to know what's in it for them. And just the way that serving is set up, there there are some answers for that. Uh, here, first of all, I want to point out why I think that serving on a surface level benefits you if you're, you're the one server. Uh, it's not a necessarily good thing. But it's, what's the verse? Let me look it up here. Uh, it's a dopamine hit, right? It makes you feel good when you serve people. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment to the Lord. Basically, like, even your selfless deeds are still selfish because they make you feel good. But that's not what I mean when I'm saying that serving serves you, uh, there are some practical ways that this is actually going to be benefiting you if you decide to play player two, if you decide to serve others. And they're good things. I mean, these are beneficial, godly things that you can use. The first one is uh, skills. It's the skills that you learn doing something that you aren't used to doing or that you wouldn't be doing otherwise. Uh, this entire conference, this level up event, wouldn't have happened if someone wasn't serving. If I hadn't been serving for the last 10 years, I would have no idea how to have done any of this. Uh, for those who don't know, I did a lot of the planning. I did a lot of the graphic design for this. Don't be brag, humble brag a little bit, uh, but legitimately everything, all the Photoshopping that I did and all the After Effects stuff that I did, uh, writing this. I'd have no idea how to do that if it wasn't for Geeks Under Grace and for the 10 plus years that I have freely helped this organization. And I get to do this really cool thing. I get to be a part of this really awesome thing. 
because I took the time to serve and grow uh, through that serving. The other thing, and I think this is more important for uh, how it benefits you, is the relationships it can create to serve. Uh, I have so many, so many friends from Geeks Under Grace and the other ministries that I volunteered as well. Um, that means so much to me. I'm I'm thinking of names right now. <laughs> I don't know if I throw them out there, but there's so many. I, I'm not going to because I don't want anyone to feel left out. And there's there's just we have 60 volunteers right now. Uh, I love all of them so much, and some of them I talk to literally on a daily basis. And I wouldn't be talking to them on a daily basis, or wouldn't have met them at least if it wasn't for the fact that Geeks Under Grace was a thing. If I hadn't served at Geeks Under Grace, then I wouldn't get to be a part of any of this. Uh, I'm thinking about church too. Going back to the skills, you know, I learned a bunch of computer stuff through doing the tech booth. Uh, I learned how to talk to people a little bit better by hosting. Uh, and then the people at church that I've met. If you go to a, if you go to a large church, I, I've said this for so long. If you go to a large church and you don't feel like you're a part of it yet, and that can happen. I go to a really big church as well, and their fix for it is small groups, and small groups are great. I don't want to bash small groups by any means. Uh, I think they are amazing. But they didn't make me feel, they made me feel like I was part of a friend group. They didn't make me feel like I was a part of the church. If you want to feel like you're a part of the church, volunteer. It doesn't matter what you do. You can host, you can do tech booth, you can do the children's ministry. There, there's so many things that you can do to be a part of the church. And you will meet so many important people through that. Important to you, <laughs> I should say. Important people to you. Uh, meaningful relationships are created when you when you serve because you're making an impact. The second point that I want to make is that serving serves others, which is kind of a mute point. I get that. <laughs> but serving does serve others. And we're called as Christians... To, to make the world a little bit better. It's kind of, it's a, it's a mandate. It's what we should be doing. And so, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate just how much of an impact you can make by serving. And I don't necessarily mean in a church. You can serve anywhere. But, there, there's two things I wanted to say to this. First one is uh, the ripple effect. I guess these are both effects. I didn't realize that. And the ripple effect is that you, you can you have a pond, metaphorically, and you throw a boulder to that pond, it will create a single wave. A single wave, cool, the impact was made. If you have 100 pebbles and you keep throwing pebbles into the water, over and over and over. It creates ripple effects throughout the entire pond continuously. It's having just as much of an effect as that giant boulder does, if not more. Sometimes small deeds are what change the world. Uh, you may not feel like you're the pharaoh in the story, but you could be Joseph. You could be even Joseph's second hand. They never mentioned who that would be. But I know that Joseph probably had 
somebody that was helping him. And Joseph probably couldn't have gotten where he was if he didn't have somebody helping him. And that person probably didn't have someone if, wouldn't do anything if someone wasn't helping him. You may not feel like you could make a huge impact. And if, that, if that's you, I want to tell you that everything you do impacts this world, including inaction. And that brings me to my second part for serving serves others, uh, the Samaritan effect. Samaritan effect, it's a really crazy thing. Uh, it was, I can't remember when it was discovered, but it, the Samaritan effect is the idea that if someone, say you have a park and someone is having a heart attack, if there is one other person in that park, that person will call for help. They're having a heart attack. Why would you not call for help? You're walking by. You're the only one there. Of course, you're going to do something. But if a person's having a heart attack at a park and there are a thousand people there, that person is less likely to get help because everyone else thinks that someone else will do it. And no one is doing it because everyone else thinks that everyone else is already doing it. It's a sad thing. I see that in uh, my day job all the time. Uh, that's just, people will see that, like, someone will get that. Someone will do that. And nobody actually gets anything done because they figure someone else will. Uh, the church is really bad about the Samaritan effect. I think it's something that uh, we, as a body, could level up on. We could really benefit if we all thought no one else is going to do it I will be that person change the world around you because nobody else is going to if you don't and you might be the person that God is placing in that situation to make that change that you want to see my final point is Serving serves God. Uh, going back to that Genesis 45, it says, It was not you who sent me there, but God. God has given us the opportunity to serve, and I want to make that so abundantly clear. I think that's so important for us as Christians to realize is that God doesn't need us to serve. God doesn't need us to go out and do anything for anybody. <laughs> God is all-powerful. He can, he can do that all on his own if he needed to, if he wanted to. He's giving us an opportunity to go out and do things for people. He's giving us an opportunity to be the hands and feet, to be the church God allows us to be a part of his story. So when you decide that you're not going to do anything, you're to decide inaction over taking action. Know that you're losing out on the opportunity that God has given you. You got to remember that God doesn't need us. We, we need him. If you want to get closer to God, if you want to feel 
closer to God, be his hands and feet. When we serve others, it reflects the character of God and it glorifies him. And I think as Christians, and that what we're trying to do, we're trying to glorify Jesus. We're trying to worship, worship our God. Serving is a form of worship. Serving is a worship to him. And just as much as singing praises or anything like that, um, it's a way that we can get closer to our Lord, to our God that we love so much, who loves us so much. Be a part of his story. So, I think the question then to end is, where do we start? Say, you may be listening to this video and going, I, I've never served in church before. I don't know how comfortable I am with, you know, signing something up right now. That seems a little weird. Uh, if you can sign up to Voluntary Church and you're not already, definitely do so. It was probably one of the most important things I've done to level up my faith. I felt so much more a part of the church when I went ahead and signed up to serve in church. Say you're not a Christian. Totally fine. Some people watching may not. Uh, go to a local the community service event or a shelter or something and volunteer there. It doesn't have to be at church volunteering. In fact, probably shouldn't just be once a week. It should probably be throughout the week, correct? You just, just sign up to serve in some way and uh, it's going to level up your entire life. And then baby steps. That all sounds like too much. Let me ask the elderly person at your grocery store if you can carry the groceries out to their car. Start holding the door open for people. As, as they're walking in. It's such a small thing, but something that's kind of forgotten these days. Go to a local convention, go to a booth, and ask them if you can help them in any way. Maybe it's just getting them some lunch or uh, watching the booth for a minute or helping them set up, tear down. Uh, I'm trying to think of things that I've done where I was, you know, we didn't really know the person because they may not want you to watch their booth too badly, uh, but we've helped booths tear down that I've had no idea who they were. We just liked their stuff and we liked them and wanted to help. Just find ways to make small effects in the world and to, to help people. We live in a world where we all want to be player one. We all want to be on top. We all want to be the best. And when we're all trying to do that, nobody wins. Let's try being player two. I really do think that if you take a step back, you be someone's right hand, you be someone's second hand, second person, you're going to go farther than you ever would trying to put yourself on top. That's my challenge for you guys this week. Find a way to serve in some capacity. Look at ways that you can be someone's player too.
my name is Heather Tapp, and I am on the leadership team for the Broken Discord, which is an esports kind of fan-based uh, ministry that focuses on loving esports and loving games and also loving Jesus. Uh, I also work full-time in the esports industry. I've started in the Overwatch League and then ended up moving to Team Liquid, which is where I've been for the past, I think, four years now. And I'm really excited to be talking today because um, I've been following Geeks Under Grace for a really long time, actually just when I joined the esports industry, because I thought it was really cool to see this group of people who loved all these things that I loved as well as loving Jesus. And I hadn't seen anything yet that really kind of combined those two. And I definitely think it was a big motivator for me joining Broken, which ended up founding not long after I started following Geeks Under Grace. And I think it's super timely to be talking to you guys about Christian fellowship today, because that is something that my husband and I are kind of looking for right now. A little about us is we live in Los Angeles, California, which has a lot of great perks, but it also um, is really hard to meet other people or at least meet people and build a kind of deep intimate relationship especially a Christian one my husband and I just joined our church not too long ago uh, probably a few months ago and it's a great church but it's also pretty big and I found that it actually makes it kind of hard to meet people when the church is so big because you're not necessarily sitting next to the same people and you know it's kind of awkward when church ends like who who do I just kind of walk up and talk to so we haven't really had the chance to build that relationship with anyone there so our first step toward that was to join a small group so that we can meet those kinds of people and we actually went to our first one on Tuesday so we're very new in this process as well and as I talk to you about kind of the importance of Christian fellowship and how to get there just know that we are very much on this journey ourselves and we're we're right there with you so what is christian fellowship i mean at face value christian fellowship is just having friendships and deep relationships in your life that are based on Christ, which sounds, I guess, pretty simple at face value. But if you're anything like me, especially living in a place like this and not really making those connections right off the bat, it's kind of difficult to find. Don't get me wrong. I have a very close knit group of friends, like my best friends live right upstairs. I have a Dungeons and Dragons group that I meet like every week on top of just hanging out other times as well. So I do have friends here, but none of those friends are actually Christian friends. And even if, you know, even if they are, even if they might identify as Christian or, oh, I grew up Christian but not so much now I would not consider them Christian fellowship and I think it's really important like I'm not kind of pushing that friendship to the side I'm just saying that Christian fellowship is a very unique kind of relationship and I think every Christian out there needs to kind of find a group of people that they can be Christians with so when I talk about Christian fellowship I don't want to downplay any relationships or friendships you have outside of this but I do want to emphasize the difference between the two maybe right now your friend group is all Christian but one thing I want to encourage you to look at is is are we having a Christian fellowship with each other? Like, is this the kind of intimacy that God has intended for us? And if not, like I encourage you all, especially if you're all are already Christian, to build up this kind of level of friendship. What makes Christian fellowship so different from other relationships is there is a certain bond and oneness that you have with other believers, right? Like, have you ever met someone who really shared in a hobby you enjoy and you just, you just met them, but you perk up because you realize they play video games or they love Marvel just as much as you do or they play Dungeons and Dragons. Like I know for me, as soon as I meet a stranger who brings that up, I, I, I just have a world of things I can talk about with them. But I also feel this spark. I get really, really excited to talk to them. I suddenly become more alert and interested in them because I know that we share this kind of thing. <laughs> and it's the same with meeting other Christians. I get really, really excited coming from the Bible Belt and living in a city like this. It's pretty exciting to meet other Christians and be like, oh my gosh, me too. I, like, I also love Jesus Christ. And I don't know, it, it's, it's, 
it's an immediate bond because you feel like you can understand that person at least on that level and vice versa like you feel understood because it can be hard sometimes to label yourself in that way because people who may not understand or have a very hurt view of what christians are you don't want to feel labeled you don't want to feel like oh i'm not someone you should feel unsafe around and i think it discourages people from kind of presenting themselves in this light of like, yeah, I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Christ. And again, I think this kind of struggle depends on where you live in the world or who you surround yourself with. But that was something that was a little hard for me coming here is kind of letting people know that because I definitely, and to this day, when people find that out about me, I can feel a shift in, in the way that they look at me or the way they perceive me, for better or for worse. I've definitely gotten more comfortable with that aspect, but there are people I've met who I happen to have learned, they've been hurt by the church, treat me a little differently knowing that I'm a Christian. So meeting other Christians and having that feeling of being understood and not misunderstood um, and knowing that you can understand them at least on this level of like we both love Jesus Christ it's really comforting and it's something that God intended for us to have he wants us to have this relationship with each other based around him so if there's anything I want you to evaluate after hearing this today it's do you have these kind of relationships in your life and if not how are you going to find them? And if you do, that's wonderful. How are you going to grow them? So why is this particular kind of relationship important? You may know that God always intended us to pursue faith together. He never wanted us to do it alone. From the very beginning, he said, man should not be alone. One of the first things Jesus did when starting his ministry is to gather people to come with him. And I think we can easily be deceived into pursuing our spiritual journey alone. Like I think you can read your Bible every night and go to church every Sunday and still be alone in your faith journey if you're not building relationships with other Christians to come alongside you and you come alongside them and you grow in your faith together. It's something that I think, at least for me growing up, always seemed like a nice to have, but as I've really studied this, it's incredibly crucial to have. I really like Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, which reads, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting each other as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what I really like about this verse is that it says, as some are in the habit of doing. I think, especially after a pandemic, it's so easy to get in the habit of just introverted living. Like I consider myself like an extroverted introvert, but after the pandemic, I'd much rather just stay home and play video games and just turn off my social brain. My social battery is completely depleted since this pandemic, to be honest. So that was part of the struggle in going to like build these relationships and starting to go to small group is, the effort and the energy put into that. A great example of Christian fellowship is Ruth, right? If you remember at the beginning of Ruth, her mother-in-law said, please leave me, go kind of save yourself, essentially. She's like, there's nothing left for me, go off on your own. But Ruth said, no, like I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be your friend and help you and not let you down. And not only just stick by you, physically and emotionally, but also spiritually, and to not give up faith, because Naomi was very much giving up faith when she felt all has been lost upon her. She felt cursed. Ruth said, I'm going to stand by you and show you God's good works. And for Naomi's life, God used Ruth 
to bring her blessings. Like God works through people. And that's another important reason to have these people in your life, not only to be encouragement and be support and accountability, but also to be tools for God to do his good works in you and to use you as a tool to do good works for him. And I think these are the sort of things that you can look forward to in these kind of relationships. For anyone who's understood that kind of feeling of having an empty cup coming into Sunday morning and going to church Sunday and feeling refilled again and rejuvenated and much more fresh and new, having Christian fellowship will allow you to kind of make sure your cup doesn't completely deplete, you know, as well as spending time with your Bible and spending time with Christ in prayer, having those friends that you can kind of just be like, oh, just relax, just be Christians with them, being with people who just understand what you're going through can be really good food for the soul. Like again, my closest friends right now aren't Christian and although I can rely on them on a lot of things, I can't rely on spiritual replenishment and that's something that I think I really need in my life right now and my husband as well. So that's why we're kind of looking for those kind of relationships. Another thing is encouragement. Like living a Christian life can be really hard and sometimes making the best decision or the decision that God calls you to do can not only be difficult but also in the eyes of society not be deemed the correct path or the right thing to do when you know in your heart and you know what the Bible says that this is the way. So it can be hard to kind of rely on people who don't understand things through a Christian lens that I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. And having friends that will encourage you to do that and also give you affirmation like, yes, you're doing the right thing. I know it's hard. I know people aren't gonna understand, but I understand and I encourage you to do this. Like that, that's just so important to have. And your Christian fellowship can play a lot of different roles. Like the way my pastor kind of worded it is there's kind of four Christian friends that are really good to have in your life. He labeled the first one as the king or queen, kind of the one to say, you know what? This is what the Bible says you need to do. This is what Christ would do. This is what you need to do. Someone who will not bend the gospel to appease your feelings, basically. Someone who will be like, this is what the gospel says, and this is the decision you need to make. And another important one is the mentor, which is kind of like a discipler relationship. Someone who will give you advice, who will help you emotionally get from A to B. Someone who will guide you and be like, look, this is kind of how I think you should go about this. Someone who sits there with the king and queen and says, I agree, that's what you need to do. Here's what I suggest is the best way to get there. And you know, it's important for that friend to be someone who you respect, who uh, knows the gospel as well as someone who might be a little older and wiser and might've gone through it themselves, who you can rely on to give you that kind of advice. Another really important friend to have, he calls the warrior. Someone who'd be like, come on, let's do it. Like the, the doer, the encourager, the someone who grabs you by the arm and says, we're gonna do this, you can do it. Almost like a little bit of a tough love, which I think is really important and pretty difficult to have in a, in a relationship. The person who really, really just kind of pats you on the back and kind of shoves you forward. And finally, you just need the friend. Like all these people are your friends, but you kind of just need someone to just be like, you know what, I love you, you're doing great. Like I just encourage you to just be that friend who you can hug <laughs> at the end or at the beginning of all of this. The real comforting voice and shoulder to cry on. And I'm not saying you need to assemble the Avengers in this kind of boxed way, but I think it's important to have these voices in your life because they all play a role in being able to live a Christian life, right? Like you kind of need all of this to be able to pursue it because we all know it's a difficult 
kind of path to follow. And if we're going to be able to do it, we cannot do it alone. So I hope as you listen to this as well, that you not only try to identify some friends who'd be good roles in this, or maybe find people that you're lacking in these roles, but also what, what do you feel in this kind of position? Are you that friend that's just going to hug them through the whole thing? Are you that warrior who's just going to encourage them to, to do the best that they can? Are you someone who's just like, I, this is what the Bible says. This is what you need to do. Like, I think it's important to kind of find what best fits your role as a Christian friend as well. So hopefully I've sold you at least on the idea of needing this in your life, but I do understand that it can be really, really hard to find. I think whether you live in the Bible Belt or you live in a big city like this one, it's hard to kind of find those deep relationships. You might find that the relationships you thought you had might be way too surface level and we need to really dive deeper into each other's lives to be able to benefit in this kind of fellowship. Or maybe you're like, you know, I don't really have anyone in my life who fills this role. And being there right now, I understand the struggle. Like I'd say the first struggle is the pandemic. Like that definitely encouraged people to be in alone in their own homes. And as much as I'm really grateful for Discord servers and online communities to kind of give you that fellowship online, it's still really, really important to have these relationships in real life. Another big barrier to kind of building these relationships is the fear of vulnerability or just the, the difficulty of vulnerability. I think it's really, really hard to not only expose yourself to other people, but I think I personally think it's harder to address other people's vulnerability, if that makes sense. So if you're trying to build this Christian fellowship with someone, you feel like you're close, you, you have a lot in common, you talk every day and you talk about Christ and you're starting to build that deep intimacy that comes with Christian fellowship. And maybe that friend does something that bothers you and you know is like, hey, this isn't what Christ would want. Hey, I don't really feel like this is Christian living. It takes a lot of love and a lot of courage to go up to someone and address their sin, especially if they didn't come to you about it. Like it's just something that you're witnessing in their life and you feel like you need to tell them about it, but it's hard. Like it might be easier for you to be like, hey, friends, I need help. I, I've sinned in this way. I don't know how to get out of it. Or like, I'm really struggling with this than it is to go up to someone and be like, hey, I've, I've noticed that you're sinning <laughs> and I would like to encourage you to not do that anymore. <laughs> and that's the sort of relationship you wanna build and work toward, but I, I, I gotta admit it, it is difficult and it takes a lot of trust. And I think that's why it's important to have these Christian friends who will understand like, look, we're just looking out what's best for each other. You know, that's why it's important to have the ruler and the warrior and the friends to be there emotionally and the mentor to tell you how to get out of it. Like you need those groups of people to be honest with you. And I think that's a big barrier, if not the biggest barrier that comes with having these friendships. Because again, I said you might've had Christian friends, but maybe you don't have that level of relationship. And if this sounds familiar to you, I encourage you to sit down with your Christian friends and be like, hey, you know, I just wanna let you guys know, I want you to be honest with me about any sort of sin you might see me living. I want you to point it out to me because I wanna be held accountable. And I'm sure that would encourage them to say, yes, that exactly the same, I want the same from you as well. And hopefully be a stepping stone into much deeper relationships. And I think in order to get that as well, another struggle is finding the right group of people. In a perfect world, you would have a meet cute with other Christians. You both drop your Bibles and then you both reach for it and you're like, oh my gosh, are you a Christian too? And that is the most Hollywood like fantasy way of meeting other Christians. Although I pray and hope for that for you. But more realistically, you kind of have to put yourself out there and kind of get to know people and determine are these the kind of people that I can build this relationship with and with that comes a lot of awkwardness like a lot of getting to know each other and like oh I haven't really found much in common with this person yet 
And with that awkwardness means it comes a lot of energy. Like if you're sitting at home and you're like, oh, I have to go to that awkward small group so that I can meet people because I need to build Christian fellowship. Like it's so much harder to get off the couch when you're in that awkward stage. And I just encourage you right now to, to, to take that step to be like, you know, it might be awkward now, but maybe I'll find people here. And if this isn't it for me, then maybe I'll find it somewhere else. But more often than not, it's gonna take some awkward phases to really find those relationships. I hope to at least leave you with some solutions and encouragement. First of which to pray about it. Like definitely ask God to put those people in your life. I I, I pray for that for you to, to have God introduce those people to you because I'm sure he has them all lined up right now. These groups of people are going to encourage each other to do amazing works and I just want them to find each other. Definitely pray for opportunities to meet them and you know take those opportunities when God presents them to you. Secondly like it doesn't have to start hard right like I said pursue interests like it, it would be awesome to meet other gamers that love Christ in your local area. So definitely start there. Try to find people who have a certain commonality with you. Maybe it's your career that you have in common. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a, a fandom. Like just find other people who have that in common because it, it'll come much more naturally and it'll be a lot less awkward building your relationship off of those kinds of things. If you don't really know where to find those people in person in your area, then I encourage you to put out a calling card because I guarantee you're not the only one in your area who loves Christ and loves your hobby. And finally, create the time. You know, if you if you feel like you're busy, like I, I definitely relate to just feeling like you're too busy to do anything. Look at your schedule and say, hey, I can knock off all of these things to dedicate to doing this. Taking time to not only find these relationships, but also taking time for those relationships once you have them is really, really important to making sure that this fellowship is a deep one and that you can rely on on each other because you make the time for each other. All in all, I hope you guys find fellowship in your life, whether it be starting from scratch like my husband and I are, where we need to first find other Christians and then build those relationships, uh, or just really strengthening and sharpening the relationships that you have. I, I really hope that you find the support system because it's so important to be able to live this life. So good luck. I encourage you to stay strong and I promise you it will not only be a big blessing in your life, but a big blessing in others as well. Hey, how's it going? My name is Tony and I am so privileged to be here today and take this opportunity to speak to you about a subject that is so important, so vital to our spiritual lives. And that subject is worship. Worship is a central aspect. It is a core tenet to our faith and it's an expression of our love and our devotion to God and it's as essential to a believer as breathing. The Bible tells us to allow and encourage everything that has breath to praise the Lord. We were made, we were created. It is at the core of our very existence to praise God and to be a testimony to his wonderful workmanship and his sustaining power and love. In so many Bible verses, such as Psalm 95, 6, the Bible teaches us the significance of worship. It says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Philippians 3, 3, Paul says, we worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These verses show us that worship is not just an external act, but it's a deep internal expression of our hearts. And more importantly, that worship is one of the primary vehicles by which we span the gap from the natural to the supernatural. Many of us might think of worship as what we experience in a church service, like singing hymns or praying, but worship can actually take so many forms. Let me explain. 
in a way that makes sense to me. I love video games. And if you're watching this, chances are you do too. I, I really like them because even though I'm not a street fighter or a survivor of a zombie outbreak or the last hope against an alien invasion, when I play games, I love them because they allow me to escape from the mundane routines of my everyday life into this fantastic world where I have power and purpose. And if I play well, victory. In the real world, the place that we all live that captures so much of our attention and energy and effort, it doesn't always feel that way. So when I enter into worship, when we focus our hearts on the Lord, I begin to pay attention to a heavenly reality that I sometimes overlook when my mind wanders from the goodness of God. So just like a video game helps us to visit strange new worlds and achieve impossible exploits, worship allows us to escape the mundane and connect with the divine. In worship, we can let go of the worries and the stresses of life and enter into the presence of God. We can bask in his love and we can feel his peace. And in declaring his goodness, we acknowledge an unseen truth that spills over and affects every part of our everyday, regular lives by putting our every problem, our every hope and ambition in perspective with the power and the grace and the goodness of our heavenly relationship. And that makes everything else seem less important or daunting or overwhelming by comparison. There's an old song that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I know, I'm old, I probably just dated myself there. So you think about it. When you're playing a video game, you become fully immersed in the experience. You work hard to overcome challenges, to reach the next level, to save the princess. And when you do, you feel a sense of accomplishment and joy. Similarly, worship allows us to immerse ourselves in the presence of God. We offer our hearts and our minds to him, and in return, we receive a sense of peace and fulfillment that can't be found anywhere else. Just as the games we play allow us to escape into these fantasy worlds, Worship is an opportunity to escape the mundane and connect with the divine. We are called to worship God in spirit and in truth, as it says in John 4:24. This means that our worship shouldn't just be a routine or a performance, but a genuine outpouring of love, devotion, gratitude. And it's hard sometimes when one of our primary modes of worship is through music, because music, even music that's written to honor God, is first designed to appeal to us. Uh, picture this, it's easy to imagine. You, when you hear a worship song that you like and you're like, that's my jam. And then you engage with it like you would any other song from the perspective of rhythm and melody as opposed to spirit and truth. And it's hard sometimes to get out of that mode, especially since there's a lot of modern worship that just slaps. Am I too old to say things like that? It's giving, it sends me, whatever, you know what I mean. But worship music and worship services, even though they appeal to our senses, they have to go beyond that. Otherwise, we're just going to a concert and singing about Jesus. I don't mean to speak for God, but I have a hard time believing that he's honored by us singing about him like he's not in the room. He desires and deserves our undivided attention. So another nerdy thing I like is comic books. I love reading panel to panel and discovering fantastical worlds and heroes with superhuman abilities. Comic books inspire me to want to be a hero in my own life. And there's a real temptation to let the feelings that worship gives us excite us to be heroes in God's story. I mean, we are given the power of the Holy Spirit and we're tasked with spreading love and justice in a world that desperately needs it. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Worship gives us the wisdom and the encouragement that we need to be a light in a dark world. We need to never forget that the story is not about us. We're honored by God to be invited into the story, to play a part, a role far greater than any of us deserve. But Jesus is still the main character. He always has been, he always will be. Before we go running off thinking that a worship experience is designed to empower us, it's really designed to exalt the one who empowers us. It's all about him. Sometimes we lose sight of that. In Deuteronomy 6.5, we're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And worship is a way for us to demonstrate this love. As we sing, as we pray, as we offer our hearts to God, we're expressing our love and devotion in kind of a tangible way. In doing this, we're honoring him above all, seeking first his kingdom, submitting ourselves to him and acknowledging his majesty. Only from the posture of humbling ourselves in worship does God promise to lift us up. And as we draw near to him, he can and does draw near to us. That's the real stuff. That's what changes everything in our stories and in our lives. We all worship something. If it's not God, it could be our possessions, our career, our relationships, our sports teams, our hobbies, our status. Look and see what captures your thoughts and your passions and your affections. And you'll find out quickly what or who is at the center of your worship. Is it God, the creator of the universe, the one who spans eternity, who spoke the world into existence, our creator, our sustainer, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior, is the only one who's worthy of our worship? Because if it is, then it's our willful engagement as worshipers that establish that truth for our blessing and for his glory. Worship, while done corporately, really is a personal examination of God's worthship to you and your will and your choice to affirm that worth in word and in deed. I think that's why worship feels good to us, because when we sing the words of a hymn or a worship chorus that particularly resonates with our own experience of who God is, we really begin to declare his worth in spirit and in truth, and it's deeply personal. Let me share one last story. When I was in college, a friend of mine was a manager at a large science fiction and fantasy collectible retailer, and one evening they were having this private party in the store after closing, and he invited me. I didn't think too much of it, just kind of a chance to hang out with my friend and a couple other nerdy people. But when I got there, I was surprised at what a soiree it actually was. It wasn't what was happening that caught me off guard, it was who was there. At this event were two actors whose faces I wouldn't have recognized, but whose reputation preceded them. So at this party was a man named Jeremy Bullock and a man named Peter Mayhew. Now for those of you who are uninitiated or having a hard time placing the names, they were the actors who played Boba Fett and Chewbacca the Wookiee in the original Star Wars trilogy. These are characters that I'd seen on the screen my whole life and I immediately knew I had to find a way to get across that party to where they were and to meet them. And, and I watched them and I saw them talking to people. I even saw them signing a few autographs and I knew that like my night would not be complete if I couldn't go over there and talk to them and get an autograph for myself. Now this was before the day of selfies, you know? So I had to be resourceful. I, I, I had to figure out a way to make this kind of last. And I just remembered that Kenner had just released the Power of the Force action figure line. And I took a long shot and I stepped out of the party and ran across the street to a Walgreens drugstore. And they had, I kid you not, on their toy aisle, two Star Wars action figures. A Boba Fett and a Chewbacca. And I'm like, yes! The Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. I had bought them without hesitation. I made my way back to the party and I tried to get close to them. 
without looking like I was trying to get close to them. You know, I was flying casual. And after what felt like 10 years of trying to build up the nerve to approach the Wookiee and the Bounty Hunter, I finally made eye contact with Jeremy Bullock and I decided to go for it. I was sure that I was super chill and subtle walking up to him with my action figures in my hand. <laughs> and I started talking to them and they were insanely nice and it was a great encounter. And I got to ask them questions about the movies and they were gracious and, and, and wonderful, just charming about the whole thing. I almost forgot to ask for an autograph, but Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy, you know, we're on first name basis like that. Jeremy asked me if I'd like one and I'm like, yes, all of the yes. So I handed them my figures and they both signed them personalized to me. I still have them right here. You can see to Tony, be cool, Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett. Boba Fett told me to be cool. And to Tony, Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca. How rad is that? When I got home, I told some friends about this experience and they were disappointed in me that I had them put my name on them because there was a new website called eBay. <laughs> and they said yeah, I could have sold them and, and made a lot of money. They said because it had my name on it, it was worthless to a collector. But you see, I didn't see it that way. I had a great personal encounter with someone that I looked up to and was excited to be with and who knew my name by the end of the conversation. My friends, see their knowledge of the bounty hunter in the Mandalorian armor was limited to seeing him on a screen, but I got to spend time with him to be with him. And that made this figure worth more to me. And here, over 25 years later, these figures are still treasures in my collection. In the same way, when you worship, you can have a personal encounter with the God of heaven. And he speaks to you. He knows your name. And he leaves you with something that others may not see as valuable. They might limit it only to the value of a good song or, or technical music performance or maybe a cool light show. But if you enter into his presence with thanksgiving and with praise, you're gonna find out that the everlasting goodness and the mercy that the Bible offers aren't just words on a page written for and about someone else. They become yours. His promises signed and sealed with your name on them. You show the world what that's worth to you when you choose to live a lifestyle defined and directed by worship. In conclusion, worship is not just a Sunday morning obligation. At its heart, whether it's expressed in song, or in dance, or in art, or writing, or in a quiet time, just waiting on the Lord, worship is about establishing and declaring what God is worth to you. It's a journey to the heart of God. It's a journey that transforms us into better versions of ourselves. The best thing about giving God honor, because he's the one who upholds us, when we lift him up, it pours back into us. When we make him great in our lives, he in turn becomes greater in our lives. So let us embrace worship with open hearts and minds. And may our worship inspire us to see God as the hero of our story. And in doing so, empower us to be the heroes that God created us to be. Thank you so much. Worship God and may he bless you all. Hey there, my name is Bubba Stalkup, and I'm the CEO and founder of Love Thy Nerd. And that is an organization that exists to be the love of Jesus to nerds and nerd culture. We get to do that a couple of ways, and that is simply by being an example of how to better love and serve your nerdy neighbors, while also doing what we can to better equip people to do the exact same thing. 
We have three major avenues that we go down in order to facilitate this, and those are thoughtful content, intentional community, and relational outreach. And our friends here at Geek Center Grace have invited me here to share with you about one of those, and that's the last one, relational outreach. We're going to be talking about that as relational evangelism. They are one and the same. Our outreach and our evangelism is both based in relationships. And I'm going to share that with you today on how when we utilize properly, it can actually set people on a path that leads them closer to God rather than one that sends them shooting off in the opposite direction. So in order to truly understand how to be effective in this relational form of evangelism, we're going to have to take a look at where it comes from and why it's important and really what Scripture has to say on the subject. Now, these Scriptures are not, it's not a definitive list, but this is the genesis of it, and uh, there's a pun in there. In John 3.16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I like to retranslate some of these things into what I call the BLT or the Bubba Living Translation. And basically this is God loves absolutely every single person on the face of the planet so much that he left his place in heaven, became a man, died the most horrible death that existed for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to him. That's really crazy. <laughs> um, God's love for his people was so deep, so absolutely deep and vast that he sent his very only son to be murdered in our place in order for you and I to have the sheer opportunity to be reconciled to him. We're not going to dig too much into the theology or the doctrine of all of that, but Jesus' death was not even a guarantee that you and I would come to know him after that. The Bible tells us that not everybody makes it to that final goal. But that did not stop him from doing it or from it happening. He still went through it, and he did it for you and for me. Our God is inherently a relational being. Now, if you're not a Christian, enjoy this peek behind the curtain. I love to say that to people because I don't assume that absolutely every single person that I come in contact with, whether they say it or not, our followers or believers in Jesus. So if you are not a Christian today, please enjoy what this thing that we think about and how specifically we at Love Thy Nerd tackle this very topic. So let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, just the first little part of that. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a lot wrapped up in that. There are... Uh, books and studies and sermon series that have gone on for the better part of two millennia, if not way longer than that, about what those words mean. But at the core of it, it's relationship that in that harmonious moment, that in that concert of time, right, that God was doing things in relationship, us and our. Those are, those are relational terms. They don't talk about a singularity. They talk about relationship. So from the very beginning, that was his nature, was to be relational. Um, he even perpetuates that narrative onto you and to me um, as he's making things. And we're made in his image, so it makes sense that he would imprint that on us. When he says that it's not good for man to be alone, so God makes all the animals. He just does that in Genesis. 
but it wasn't really until God formed woman out of man that he was like, yep, that, that's the one. This is deemed suitable. So this is the basis for absolutely every single thing else that comes from the Bible. And it's going to be our launching point today when we're talking about relational evangelism. So at LTM, we're actually really careful about the words that we use to describe the things that we do um, and that we're actually trying to attempt with this relational outreach thing. Um, it's no exception to that rule. And I like for people to know exactly what it is that they're getting themselves into with me uh, regarding my stuff personally. I'm not a big fan of smoke and mirrors or cloak and dagger, hidden agenda, all sorts of stuff. I think that those are better saved for games like, I don't know, Among Us, uh, One Night Werewolf, Mafia, stuff like that. Because in the real world, you may know this to be true. In the real world, uh, specifically in as much as it pertains to spiritual things, people don't generally like being deceived, right? They... They like to know that when you say something and when you say you're going to do something, that you don't have to follow that thing up with a reassuring statement that something is going to be okay. Um, they want to know that your word is your bond without you having to tell them that. And that's something that can't be bought. That's absolutely 100% earned. And you're the only one that can do that. So we take this exact approach with as many people as we absolutely possibly can in nerd culture. It's paramount that the person that I hope to be able to share the love of Jesus with trusts that I'm coming from a place that is genuine for care of them and by extension, their experiences. And we say all the time that people are a sum of the moments that have led up to this moment right now. They are not this moment in a vacuum. There's so much to that. But what it really means is that people are much like Transformers. There is more than meets the eye. There's a lot more under the surface than what we see on a daily basis. But more often than not, we want to rush straight into a scripted gospel presentation with the expectation that we're just going to lead them right down from where they were, down the Roman road, and straight through the pearly gates. Taking them from their life of sin and strapping them to a proverbial rocket, and that shoots them straight up into heavenly paradise. I like to think of it this way. If, if my wife were here with me right now, and you were able to talk to her, this would be the first time that most of you have met my wife. And in that time frame, there would be things that you would not be able to know about her. She is a wonderfully complex person, as everybody else is. You would have almost no idea what she finds funny, and more importantly, what she does not find funny. You don't know any of that stuff at all. All of the useful information about my wife is going to come with further interactions with her. And simply knowing something about somebody has never, ever in the history of time made a relationship. Just the simple knowledge that you have of a person does not create relationship. No one would expect that of a first meeting from anybody, like at all. So when you have those expectations, when you meet somebody, and let's say, for instance, that you tell somebody on a first date that you love them, that's more than likely going to be the last date you have with that person. So a word to the wise, pump the brakes a little bit. It's odd to me that this is the expectation that most people have in Christian life with the most important relationship that you and I are ever going to have in our lives. And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that we've been programmed with like a rabid sense of urgency 
without allowance for any kind of nuance or natural progression in relationship. Going back to that first date analogy, like it's, it's crazy to me um, that it can seem like we're doing that with a lot of people with Jesus, that we're asking them to go from like zero to a thousand in one conversation. We're asking people on the first date to marry. That's, that's a big ask. I didn't do it with my wife. And if you're married, I would I'd venture a guess to say that you did not do it with your spouse either. Even best friends, let's say you don't you don't have a spouse, you're not married. Even best friends have to kind of earn their place on that tier, right? You have to go through some things. They've got to be with you through thick or thin. They've got, they've got to prove to you that they're going to be there and that they will be a best friend or else they just stay an acquaintance. What I'm trying to get at here is that true relationships take time. Um, let's not get it twisted, though. Like, I want to be real. God absolutely can move in someone's life, just like in the example that I talked about. But far more often and far more common in nerd culture is that the person that you just met playing taco, cat, goat cheese pizza, or smash bros at your local community game night, that person's got some really good reasons why they do not want to be in or around church for the foreseeable future. Now, we believe it love thy nerd. And have seen this tested as true. It's not just a, a hollow belief that we have. We've seen it that the most effective way in nerd culture anyway to share the love of Jesus is through relationships. Time spent together. Some form of verbal intimacy. We do all the time with people who have either firsthand or secondhand church hurt. And those are things that need to be heard and addressed. Now, firsthand church hurt, if you've not heard those terms before, which you, you may not have, and that's okay. Firsthand church hurt is it's a wrong that has been done to a person directly by somebody in church or a church themselves. Now, we don't come alongside of them and tell them, I, you know, church really isn't like that. You don't really have anything to worry about. Everything's going to be fine. Like that's textbook gaslighting because that person has an experience there's a reason why they don't want to be around the church anymore. And we truly believe that you need to validate that. You need to apologize for the way that they were treated by the church, in the church, through the church, whatever it was. And then after that, you spend the time that it takes to prove to them that at the very least it does not have to be like that. And it probably shouldn't. You and I are a part of this process that people are going through. We are not the entire process. We are a part of the process. And we don't even know what part of the process we are most of the time. So being available, apologizing, validating, and proving these things to people, that's the most important thing that you can do for that person. This is important to hear. They're hurt, though it may not be your fault. It absolutely is your problem. 100% it is your problem. If you are going to minister to that person and you're going to love them well in the space that they're in, their previous hurt is your problem. I think that's when we need to put in the time to show them the love that they were they were robbed of. And when we do, they see Jesus. Secondhand church hurt. Oof. Secondhand church hurt is far more difficult to deal with. See, this is when, and you may know a lot of people like this, this is when their feelings 
that they have about church are actually tied directly to somebody that they love and care about who has been hurt or offended or otherwise by the church. All of those feelings and emotions come from a third party. There's very little that you can do with that person specifically until they realize and understand and accept that the person that they are caring about, that that person is taken care of. In that case, it's even more important for you to be consistent, for you to be there, for you to love that person day in and day out and be Jesus for them at every moment that you can. They're going to need that extra care. And that's completely okay because you know what? God meets you and me right where we are. And I think that the least that we can do is to meet other people in the spaces where they are. Like I said, relationships take time. They're hard work. They really are, and they're messy. In a relationship, you're going to be forced to move past these fake smiles and pleasantries. Those of us that are in church on a Sunday morning, one of the most common questions that somebody asks you, because it's easy, is, how are you doing? And no matter how you are doing, I would venture a guess to say that you say fine, or great, or live in the dream, or dandy, or whatever your cultural reference is. A true relationship moves you past those points. It's going to force you to actually disagree with a person and evaluate. It's going to force you to be vulnerable and intimate with somebody. And all these things are part of the process. Speaking of process, uh, this is important to know when you're talking about relationships and evangelizing, which is to share the gospel, to share specifically the gospel as far as it pertains to us, but share things that are deep and that you care about. There's a, there's a particular process out there that you've probably heard about um, that a lot of people are going through these days that have grown up in Christian homes or you know lifestyles, and that is deconstruction. And we're not going to dive into that. Google it. Check it out. But for whatever reason, this process of deconstruction, it's something that tends to scare the older generations and even some of my own generation and our generation, if you fit with me, who have never thought to really question anything that they've ever been taught. Now, I'm not here to sway anybody on one side or the other about deconstruction. I think that's something that you need to think about and wrestle with in your own relationships and with the people that you love and you care about and you have the ability to talk about these things with. Um, but if you're not thinking, this is the crux here, if you're not thinking about where other people are on their own faith journey, then you're going to treat them just like a number or a placeholder rather than an individual. An easy thing to say to help kind of circumvent this process is this. We tell all of our people, this is core training at Love Thy Nerd, that people are people, they are not projects. You bring that into a digital or a video game content con, uh, context, rather. Uh, pixels are people; they are not projects. Let's say you're sitting down playing a board game or a tabletop game with somebody. Meeple are people; they are not projects, and that is unwavering for us. No matter where you are or what you're doing, take the time, however much you are afforded, to build an authentic relationship with the people that God has placed in your path. This is invaluable, and I promise you that people are generally pretty good about sniffing out someone who is disingenuous, and they're going to detach almost immediately. 
you probably will never see them again and you will feel them disengaged from the conversation if they don't feel like you are with them through the process. So that's the theory, right? Like uh, what's what's the application here, Bubba? How do you build that authentic relationship? How do you gain trust? Here's a couple of things that have, that have worked for us in the past as we close out here. Don't lead with your agenda. Your job is not to argue anybody in the kingdom of heaven at all. So do not lead with your agenda, period, full stop. People are not going to care about anything that you have to say until they know that you care about them, until that relationship starts to build. So care about them. Just do it. Ask questions. Be genuinely inquisitive without making it weird, right? There are some lines not to cross when asking questions. But if you listen to that person, you practice active listening. Ask questions based on the things that they're actually talking about rather than just getting through a list of things that you've been told to ask. Then you start to build true relationship. And here's why. People are inherently selfish creatures. They are. Jesus knew that. The golden rule. Some of you probably know that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Another BLT translation, Bubba Living translation here. It's like Jesus saying, hey, you you know how you like to be treated, right? Like with honor and dignity and respect. You like it when people don't speak over you and interrupt you and they, they let you finish what you're saying and they don't tell you that the thing that, that you like is actually stupid. Like you like all those things? Treat other people with that amount of respect. And then you're going to train them on how to treat you and other people. Again, I said earlier that, that we see that God perpetuates his narrative with us. We do the same thing. We perpetuate the narratives that we have onto other people and into circumstance. So you can get people talking about their very favorite subject, which is themselves, just by asking questions. Take time to learn those things about them that make them laugh, that make them cry, that make them love, that make them generous, and all sorts of other things and feelings. People long to know and to be known. So take the time, get to know them. Treat them like the individuals that God has created them to be. We like to practice at Love Thy Nerd a thing that we call passive discipleship. And what this really means at its core is that if anybody decides to spend more time with us past the allotted first meeting, which could be a mistake, it could be a setup, it could be a play date, like whatever it is, right? If they spend any more time with us of their own free will with us past that, then they're going to see as best as we can interpret it, what Jesus would or would not do in any given situation. And when we fail, because we absolutely are going to fail, the hope is that they would see true repentance and change that we would want to be better tomorrow than we were today or yesterday or the days before. Everybody has a preconceived notion about the church, about Jesus, about whatever else they think that you represent or you stand for, your religion. And the sad part about it is that perception is reality in most cases. It just is. But I'll tell you this. Nothing shatters these misrepresentations, these preconceived notions, than watching your ideal get proven wrong over and over and over again, day in and day out killing people with kindness, loving them well. It's more effective, I promise you this, than any sermon 
or podcast that you could send to them. When they see you face to face, going with them through things, loving them well, literally being the hands and feet of Jesus, sometimes you just got to help people move when you don't want to. Those kinds of things. That's what shatters the preconceived notions and changes these misconceptions that people have. So if this is something that you've been struggling with, um, then I think it's, it's about time that you were challenged. I don't hear very many challenges these days, and uh, I want this to be a soft challenge, but a challenge nonetheless for you to go and do what the name of this conference is, and that is to level up. In order to do that, it's not something that just happens, right? In order for you to level up, you got to go out and you got to get the XP needed to level up. You got to go be bold and be vulnerable. And when you do this, I promise you this, that you're going to be growing the kingdom in a way that is way more focused on creating followers of Christ. And by extension, you're going to be creating far more effective disciples that will then carry and perpetuate that narrative of relationship building and relationally evangelism, loving people well in the spaces where they are. And in our case, helping people better love and serve their nerdy neighbors. Well, hello, Geeks Under Grace. Doug Jones here, the tall, skinny, goofy actor guy who plays lots of monsters and creatures under heavy rubber bits often. Today, unfortunately for you, you have to look at my real face. Uh, sorry for that. No one should have to see this. But uh, it is for such a, a good, happy thing that I'm a part of. I, I'm glad to, be, to participate with you in this Level Up event today. And thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I... Uh, as an actor who's been in so much dark material and played a lot of dark characters, as well as light, goofy ones, um, I get asked a lot how I, how I balance my Christian faith with the material that I'm in and, and the, the, actually the, the entire Hollywood industry that I'm in, film and television. And, um, you know, I, I, there's no quick one-sentence answer that gets, that gets to the point of that. So give me a few seconds here. <laughs> um, I believe that when we are blessed with talent from God himself, that it is our responsibility to use that talent and stay available to use it. Um, my career kind of happened to me and not because of me. Um, I never sought the type of, of roles that I play. I, I never thought that wearing rubber and glue on my face and, and, and growling at people was going to be a career move. Um, it just kind of naturally happened it very much every step of the way for me my 36 year career has been one open door after another open doors that, that would not have opened up on with my own with my own turning of knobs it had to be a godly thing or, or it wouldn't have come through like it did and i've i've often fearfully and trepidatiously walked through those doors thinking is this the right decision is this the right project to be in and there have I, i've made some mistakes along the way i'm only human we all have uh, but also, um, I find that, that the best witness we can be as Christians uh, in, in a business that is not always um, uh, kind to Christianity um, uh, is to simply live, live out loud. And being good at what we do 
is top priority in the entertainment business. We are here to entertain first. So don't. So I've I've learned my lesson to not come in the room trying to preach. Uh, it is not my job to um, to evangelize, as in in the traditional sense, on a movie set or a television show. It's my job to be good at what I do first. Um, and hopefully I've come close over the years. I don't know. Other people can tell me that. I can't. Um, and, and when you're good at what you do, then opportunities open for you to do that thing again and again and again. So whether, no matter what side of the camera you are on, um, uh, so, so finding a way to um, be a part of the pop culture and contribute to it with a voice of light and healing and love and inspiration, as opposed to the opposite. So even when, uh, uh, I'll tell you, a, a great example would be uh, when I was first cast in the first Hocus Pocus movie back in 1993, um, Ralph Winter was our was a, a producer. He, he was producer actually for both movies, one and two. But when I got cast in this movie, I, I, I asked him specifically, what, now Ralph, help me feel better about a movie that has witches at, at the centerpiece of it. Um, you know, is, is, is witchcraft to be celebrated or what, what's happening here? What, what's the, what's the, the main, you know, push of this story? Where's it going to end up? He said, as Christians, we have, we are put in positions to make a difference in that role that we're playing as a producer. He had a lot of decisions to make that could guide the story this way, that way. Um, I, as an actor, had decisions to make that would guide my character and his involvement in the story this way or that way. So, uh, so he said, "No, it's better better that we're here and participating uh, and being a part of the conversation that happens after the movie comes out, right? When people have questions about about forces of evil and how do we combat them, and then you can come out with that." Another example of that would have been when I was cast in the movie Legion. Uh, in Legion, I was I played the ice cream man, like a jaw dropping, limb growing. Uh, I came out of, of an ice cream truck looking kind of like a regular guy until I started morphing and, and coming crazy. And when the when that movie was first presented to me by director Scott Stewart, uh, I was just in, in a ninety second cameo, so it wasn't that. But I wanted, to, but I always, as usual, I wanted to read the entire script so I could see what am I going to be a part of. Um, and when I saw that that it was, uh, God was kind of. I mean, at first, upon first reading, is God the bad guy here? And our, and this angel, Archangel Michael, is cutting off his wings and rebelling and not doing what God tells him because he's, he sees the bad and what God wants to do to Earth. It's I, everything in me was like, Wah. so I asked for a coffee date, and these coffee dates are all important when you can sit down with the director and say, what is your vision for this? Because my uh, my my mother, who raised me in the church, might roll in her grave if I do this. He said, "Oh no, 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 no! This is absolutely not meant to uh, you know insult your Christian sensibilities at all." He says, "I'm I come from a Jewish background myself. I," he said, "I am posing a question here with this movie, and that is." If the New Testament did not exist, if we were not living under the grace of Jesus Christ, if we were, if we were living under, um, 
if the, if the New Testament wasn't, hadn't, hadn't happened yet, if we were still living under Old Testament times, would earth as it is today and the people on it, would we be deserving of another flood? And I tilted my head and said, you know what? That is a great conversation starter. And he said, uh, so picture this movie. Uh, these all, uh, the, the Legion title, title is A Legion of Angels Coming from Heaven, embodying or taking the uh, embodying or um, taking over human bodies and making them self-destruct. So it's kind of like a, a washing clean of, of Earth of, of all of the human scum, basically. It, so it seemed like a very unhopeful sort of beginning to the story. But there's a gas station outside of town in the desert that is kind of like the Ark, where the good guys of our story are holed up and fighting off the flood, uh, if you will. And I was basically, as the ice cream man, I was one of the first raindrops in this flood, proverbially. So, you know, so I didn't make, it's not the kind of movie that brings, that, that would, you know, once it was said and done, I don't know that anybody fell to their knees and, and you know, and, and, you know, did the prayer of salvation <laughs> after watching the movie. But... Uh, it, there was a narrative and a, and a conversation that came from this film, and it was happening during the whole. They, they included me in the press junket, the red carpet events. The, all, I did lots of interviews with lots of big news outlets, and the big question they were asking everybody is: this this topic of this movie is very controversial. What do you? How do you feel about that? And I was able to say the story I just told you, and how um, and how I, I my character plays into it. And bet the good news is that this is a movie for entertainment. It makes a great Saturday night, but Sunday morning the next day, you're welcome to come to church with me. And the Bible on my shelf at home has a New Testament in it that shares the good news that we don't have to live under that kind of punishment. Again, the punishment's been taken for us, a sacrifice has been made, and, um, and we're, we're living in, a, in an age of grace now. Um, so when you're able to say that, on big news outlets and in front of, you know, with cameras running and a microphone in your face. Uh, that's an opportunity that I would not have had had I said no to the movie. So again, there are people out there who would, who would always question my choice making, but I wasn't, I, and at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't participate in that movie for my Christian friends. I participated in that movie for the conversation that questioning people might have later. If for whatever, well, for whatever that's worth. Uh, I also did a movie called Quarantine, and in also dark, a, 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 a um, uh, an outbreak of rabies that uh, has broken out in this apartment building, and it gets shut in and quarantined while the fire department's in there, and a news crew has gone in ahead of time to find out what's going on. They got quarantined and stuck in the building with everybody, and people are going rabid and starting and killing it. So it's kind of like a zombie outbreak, but it's kind of with rabies instead. <laughs> And um, uh, the, uh, the, the part they wanted me to play was the guy who lives in the top floor of this apartment building who was responsible for the entire meltdown of the building and was going to try to end humanity. He had concocted this special strain of rabies that was very fast acting and very deadly. So he experimented on himself, and so he's like this, you know, you know, kind of uh, uh, nasty character that they finally find by the time they get to the top floor after lots of death has happened, lots of blood and guts have been spilled. And I'm like, you know, I understand blood and guts. It's like, uh, it's not my favorite thing to watch, but I understand there's an audience for it. And, mm. 
and I was okay, I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, but then by the time I got to that part of the script, those last three pages where I show up, uh, those last few pages, they had him, they had they had him presented as a Christian, gone off the rails fanatic who wanted to end humanity and who thought he was being told by God himself to uh, infect humans with this rabies and that and he had recordings and there were clippings on the on the walls of like different religious cults that he had been following and so that's when I said mm, you know what no I can't do this I told my and I sent an email to my manager saying here's why I but th please thank them for thinking of me and I understand the movie they're trying to make but it's just not my story to tell and I said, it, as a Christian, uh, I know I know most Christians I know don't want to plot the end of humanity by creating a rabies strain. So I don't know that this really represents, um, you know, a life that I know pretty that I know. Uh, so turns out that he sent that email in its entirety to <laughs> the director who offered it to me. That director get back to him and said, you know what, we did? we had a discussion here and decided Doug was right, and I did not expect to hear this. We've rewritten the ending, we've taken those Christian uh, references out. He's now um, more of a more of a of a of a cult of his own kind of thing. See, and please, please have Doug give it a reread. And, and, and I read it. I said yes. I did it. So, my, I have a tiny, small voice, and in those instances, I was able to use my small voice in whatever way was presented in front of me. Again, more open doors that are before, during, and after a movie shoot that, uh, that are, you know, that God presents to us to, you know, I want your voice in here, so here's what I want you to, you know, here's how I want to use you. It's our job to sit, lay our hands open and say, use me however you will. Uh, and, you know, there are times in my, in, my, in my career that I think, I'm done, I'm done, I have to be done, this needs to be done. And... And when God keeps opening the next door saying, nope, got one more thing for you. Walk this way. Just walk this way. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And he's always come through, uh, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears I go through to make that project happen or to play that character. Uh, it, I can always look back in hindsight and say, mm, I'm on to you. I see what you're doing. Okay. 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 Anywho, uh, but most importantly, uh, let's be good at what we do and let's participate in pop culture because if we shy away from it when it gets ugly and it often more now than ever gets ugly out there uh, arguments break out over all kinds of for all reasons and i don't mean to get in the middle of an argument but stay the kind generous um, thoughtful intelligent voice among all of the angry noise and and I believe that uh, when we stay calm and balanced in our opinions, balanced in our faith, that that uh, that will be the best witness to others around us than than anything. That'll be, I, I think. I think this is just me talking out loud. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, it has been an absolute treat uh, to be with you today, uh, and. You know, uh, as as life, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm 62 years old now, so I've been at this I've been at this a while. Life and my career, <laughs> and uh, as uh, as the time comes now, it looks like like I might be embarking soon on an autobiography. 
and in said autobiography, again, trying to put a book out there into the world amongst all the other books on the shelves, uh, what, what part of my small voice can be used uh, in telling my story, uh, how much professional, how much personal, how to balance it all out. I could use your prayer, your prayer for that, uh, knowing how to construct said book. And if I, I might need to bring in a co-author for it because of, of just a matter of time and, and organizing that much material in some kind of an order that makes sense for a book uh, would be great. I think that's, a, that's another key for us is prayer. Um, when faced with, should I take this opportunity or shouldn't I? Uh, and once you've taken uh, on a responsibility, can I get through it, Lord? Give me the strength. I cannot tell you how many times I have been in a monster suit going, <gasps> and the day's gotten long, and I've got another take or two to do, and I, my thighs have gone numb. I can't, I, don't, I feel like I have no strength. And I have said, dear Lord, get me through this day. Please, please, please. I have no strength left. I'm relying on yours. That's applied to me in the moment, and it's applied to me over over the course of my career too. Get me through this career. When the, when it all started back in the 1980s, um, and I felt I felt the opportunities coming for me to get my first agent, and it's like oh, this might actually take off. You know, this this dream and hope, and uh, these desires I had in my heart, and the talents that I seemed to have been given. God wouldn't give those to me if I didn't have a place to use them. I had to believe that. So he created places for me to use them. He uh, and I. A talk we had at the very beginning of my acting career was, if, okay, if this, if you're in this, Lord, if you want me to be an actor, I beg of you to show up with me every time and please know our lines for us, and <laughs> and please, uh, you know, let me be the right. Uh, voice influence the right um if anyone is i don't know how to i'm not i don't think of myself as an influencer trust me i'm anything i don't think anybody should listen to me i, I have i have imposter syndrome like anybody else would but let but you know that's when i have to rely on the lord to uh make make the way for me to be used however you want me to use me and if um and if that means getting one more take when i have no 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 muscle in my thigh left I need you. I need you right now. I need you then in that moment. I need you throughout my 36 years and beyond as I continue on with my career. And I told him, I said, the minute that you're not in this, the minute that you think that I should close this chapter and move on to something else, I assume that you'll do that, that you'll let me know when that is. Please don't let me spin my wheels on my own. If, if it's time to, to do something else, please make it readily apparent so that I'm not spinning my wheels. And so far, I'm still here, still doing, and uh, but but very open again, hands open, ready to be used and ready for change whenever that should come. I hope and pray that you can all do the same. Now, as I end this video, I hope and pray that all of you will have your hopes and dreams and goals fulfilled in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. I hope and pray for success to find you all on all levels. That would be personal, professional, relational, hobbies, whatever you put your mind and heart and hands to, may success be yours. And more than ever, 
love. I hope and pray for love to find all of you in all of its forms, and you're getting some massive love from me today. Doug Jones, thank you so much for letting me share this time with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Geeks Under Grace podcast. We love hearing from you, so feel free to ask us questions or just comment on the show by using the hashtag GUGCast on Twitter or by joining the GUGCast questions channel in the Geeks Under Grace Discord. If you like this episode, consider leaving a review or rating of our show on your favorite podcast app. If you want even more Geeks Under Grace, you can always go to geeksundergrace.com. We love you all so much, so thank you for listening.